All right, well, you may be seated. Most of you know we're in the book of John, the book of John, John chapter 2. Uh, in John chapter 2 tonight, we're going to see uh, John record Jesus' first miracle, and that is uh, the turning of the water into wine at the wedding feast of Cana. And so what we're going to learn tonight is that we're going to see two contrasts here with Jesus. One, we're going to see him in an environment where he is uh, 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 allowing the people to have the necessary joy that was customary at weddings. You know, uh, this would have been a good time for Jesus to be very religious and righteous and say, well, you know, y'all done ran out of wine. I'm going to just let y'all do, do without. But, but he saw but fit, he saw fit not, to, not to, I would say, I would say some people probably thought, thought, man, that would have been a good time for Jesus and people who maybe having fun and celebrating with. That would have been a good time for him to come across as being self-righteous and say, hey, I'm not going to do that. But I think he understood that that, 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 that there's, nothing there's nothing wrong with joy that comes joy that with celebrating. Celebrate. Okay? okay. Now the sin now, is the not sin the wine, because, wine because, because if that was the, the case, case, he would have been causing been people, causing to, people, sin. people to, sin. to sin. The sin is the drunkenness. Sin is drunkenness. And, so and so I think we have to be clear in our understanding of that because sometimes we can get those two things crossed up and then it can cause people to be judging others without just cause. Amen. Amen. And so Amen. the and second so thing the we're going to see tonight, tonight is that, man, we're going to see Jesus with attitude. I mean, I you mean, know, you this know, shocked me that Jesus, you know, Mary's little baby could have an attitude. When certain things weren't going right with you, you know, and sometimes people try to downplay, you know, well, he really didn't. But we're going to see tonight that he did some things intentionally. And and I think the point that he was trying to make uh, was well taken. Even his disciples kind of understood what he was doing when he went in and cleaned out the temple with the money changes. And we kind of have to have an understanding what that was all about, why he got so indignant in a righteous way. You know, and we're going to get there. And so what we're going to see here in John chapter 2, the Bible says, the, Bible says, the next the day next there was a day, wedding, was a wedding celebration, celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. 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 Jesus' mother was, mother, there. mother was there, and Jesus and, and his Jesus disciples, and disciples were also, were also invited, invited to the celebration. To the celebration. How many of you ever been invited, been invited to a wedding? To a wedding? Or any type of promotion party, wedding party, birthday party? All of you ever been invited to one? And most of the time when you go to those things, you expect some type of celebration. I mean, you expect I mean, you people expect to have some fun. Have fun. You expect there to be laughter and joy. I mean, you expect that. I, I've never I've been never to been a to birthday a party where people party went in and started crying. You know, most of them celebrate. I've never been to a wedding where people, after the vows was done and they went to the reception, I mean, they just had a good time. Because wedding is supposed to be a joyous occasion and things like that. But sometimes, you know, when we go to those things as Christians, sometimes we can kind of look down on how people show their joy or express their joy. And so, and so for me, for I know me, that I know because that I don't because drink, I don't drink uh, alcohol, uh, alcohol of any type, you know, going to a wedding for me when to get to that part ain't that necessarily fun. 
Because, you know, I feel like, hey, I'm out of place. You know, everybody else is going and, you know, doing what they do. Yeah, I am. And there was a time early on in ministry where when that time came, I would leave. Because I felt like, okay, if I stay here, I ain't going to have the joy they got. But at the same time, there may be some people who would like to have a little bit more joy. But because I'm in the house, they tap down their joy. You know what I mean? That's okay. That's understood. I mean, that's understood. But, but, but as I've gotten older and understand ministry a little bit better, now I can go to a wedding and stay the whole time. I mean, I don't feel I mean, like I'm feel out of like place. I don't feel like I'm in this judgmental spirit where, where God, I got to be watching everybody who's going up to the bar. You know, I got to watch every dance that they do out on the floor. What are they dancing to? You know, now I decided that I ain't going to be the joy killer. So if people want to have joy at their wedding, it's their wedding. Have joy. I would still I would, stand and say, hey, and say, hey try your best try your not, best to, get not to get drunk. Drunk of this is to say I know you want to have a good time. But, but try not. But try not. I can't find I can't out find the dancing is a sin, so I can't say nothing about it. And so what happens here, we're going to see that Jesus do something that we would probably think is out of the ordinary. Because look at this. The people came to have a celebration. And normally when you got an invitation to a wedding, if you didn't go, it was like an insult. And so these weddings were normally big occasions. They didn't normally just last like our wedding. Do you go an hour and a half ceremony and a three or four hour, you know, reception party and all that type of stuff and it's over. And these folks got together for days. And when they got together for days, the host of the wedding had to make sure he had the proper accommodation. And so to have a wedding of that magnitude for days and to run out of wine would have been an insult. It would have been like, you know, you're the host of something, and then now it's your duty to have this. And it almost would be like you're not fulfilling the obligation of hospitality. You done ran out of Wine. wine. Now, early, now in, early my in my Christian walk, Christian when I was anti-wine, I used to buy into the philosophy that, well, Jesus really didn't turn this to real wine. It was just grape juice. You know, it was grape juice. And that, and that was just cake up. But, but then when I started studying more and saw how the Pharisees saw Jesus when they compared him to John the Baptist, See, John the Baptist John was the real serious. You know, they said John they the Baptist John was out in the wilderness eating wild oats and honey and acting like a madman. But Jesus came drinking and eating. And the Pharisees said he's a wine bibbler. Well, you know, Jesus hung out with folks who drank wine. That's why the Pharisees didn't like him, because he hung out with the publicans and the sinners and all that. Now, I'm not saying he was endorsing drinking, but he didn't have a problem being around people who did certain things that some of us may feel like, you know, violation. And so what we see here is that if we can take on the same spirit that Jesus did, we can learn how to celebrate when people celebrate and still maintain our Christianity. We don't have to, don't have to give, it give it up just because you go to someone's birthday party. And you don't have to look down or feel like, hey, you got to feel this guilt all because you went to somebody's birthday party. Okay? Because if that was the case, Jesus should have skipped the wedding. 
Mary, why did Mary, when Mary said that they was out of wine, and Jesus said that's not his problem. I'm going to get to that. That was kind of a tough way that he kind of responded to that. And, 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 and I'm going to talk and about, and about that in a few minutes. Hold on to that thought. Hold on to that thought. Hold on to that thought. So, so now he was invited to this wedding celebration in the village of Cana. Jesus and his mother went. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. So again, this was a pretty big celebration. Invited him and the boys. And then look at here. The Bible says the wine supply ran out during the festivity. So Jesus' mother told him they have no more wine. Now that the fact that she said that has been a, a topic of conversation and disagreement. Because some people would say, okay, maybe she knew his powers and he could produce the wine. Others say Others maybe she say did maybe not she know did the power, and she was just telling him, hey, hey, they done ran, they out, ran out, go find some. You know, now, Jesus at this time was not the 12 year old Jesus. Jesus over 30 years old now. So this is grown Jesus. And so it looks like he was being disrespectful to his mom. But at the end of the day, he did do. What she, said. what she said. Amen. 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 So now look at this. So, look at so, this. so, so he comes so back, he comes back and, says, and says, dear woman, dear woman that's, that's not that's our problem. problem. We just guess here, man. man. The fact they done ran out of wine, that ain't our problem. That's the bride and groom and the people who hosted them. That's their problem. And our problem. Our problem. He re, that's how he replied to his mom. But then he said, my time has not yet come. In other words, it was not necessarily the time for him to further reveal who he was. But his mama made this request, and it sounded like he was being borderline rude. You know, that's not my problem. You know, back in the day, you know, we said that to my grandmama and mama like that. We got the back end. Because it looked like we talking back. But, but, his, but point his point was, was that he was that trying to let know that the time, the time for him to further, further reveal himself, himself has not come. Has not come. But, now, but, now, but now, look what his mother do. After he said that to her brother Purdue, she didn't run off and say, you know, you better do this. She just went to the servant. Look what she said, verse 5. But his mother told the servant, do, do whatever, whatever he tells you. So it looked like she looked knew like this stuff was going to happen. Whether or not she whether knew not exactly what he was going to do, some type of expectation that he was going to do something. Because why else would you go tell the servant, do whatever he tells you? Now, we know from the text that what he did. And so what we see here coming in the text is Jesus' first miracle. Now look at this, I'm, verse, I'm in verse 6. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. In other words, the Jews did a lot of ceremonial washing before they ate, before certain things, and so water was a big part of the purification process, ceremonial purification. So apparently had all of this stuff, water available, and he, and he said, said, the Bible, Bible says, each, each could, could hold 20, 20 to 30, 30 gallons. gallons. 
So, man, you know, six times 30, I just did some simple math. Man, that's 180 gallons of wine. You can throw a serious party with 180 gallons of wine. Even if it ain't but 5%. You ain't even got to have a strong wine. You know, some of y'all know 20% versus 5%. No, don't sit here and try to look at me. I know y'all read the label now. You know, you know I'm, not, I'm not getting on you. I'm not getting on you. But I'm just saying, you know the difference. Amen. Somebody say amen with me. Come on now. You've got 20% by volume. I know y'all don't seen that on the bottle. Amen. That tell you that's a little bit stronger. 10% means kind of weak. <laughs> so, so, so you got to be careful, striving members and friend, friend, uh, friends that's online. You got to be careful when you're drinking the 20% by volume. You need to know what your, you know, your capacity is. You know, they even got scientific measurements, Kent, where you can go and see how much you weigh, and based upon how much you weigh, it'll tell you about how many of that 20% by volume you ought to be able to drink. And when you calculate that, and it come out to 10 ounces, you got to know, 10 ounces. I can't drink the whole pint. Because if I drink the whole pint now, I may end up drunk. So, so now, that's a lot of wine. Amen. <laughs> and Jesus was about to turn the water into wine. Yeah, but hear me. He says, now, Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars were filled, he said, dip, now dip some out and then take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. All he did was spoke and something happened. And, and, and you know, it says that the jars was filled to the top. So it's not like he added something to it to make it wine, he said some things and it turned to wine. Now, again, when I first, you know, was very dogmatic in my approach to drinking, I used to buy into, well, you know, Jesus would not have turned this into real wine. It was just some grape juice or some fermented grape juice. It wouldn't, you know, wouldn't have been real wine. Because it will make it look like that Jesus was okay with them celebrating and having a little joy at the wedding. Amen. And you know, wine in the Bible is described as, you know, you know, Flip Wilson had it right. Some of y'all too young, but he used to call it joy juice. Amen. <laughs> it, it brings you joy. And so when you're at a wedding, you don't serve water. Because water ain't going to bring you. Y'all got to hear this today. So, so I hope you understand it. Now, now, it's not that Jesus was telling them to sin, but the bottom line is whatever he did 
it must have been enough to impress the master of ceremonies. So he told them to take it and give it to the master of ceremonies. They followed the instructions. Now look what happened in verse 9. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it came from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom. Now you got to get this. Y'all got to get this next verse. He tasted. He knew something was different. So he called the bridegroom. Get this. He says this. Now call the bridegroom over. Verse 10 says, A host always serves the best wine first. Let's talk about that. Some of y'all wine drinkers, no? Back in the day. You know when I used to drink, they had classes of scotch. You know, back in the day, now I wasn't a big time, I couldn't afford the real, real expensive stuff, but in our day, Chevy's Regal was kind of top shelf. You know, Chevy's Regal, 25-year-old Chevy, Chevy's kind of top shelf. Then after that, you probably had Johnny Walker, red or black, scotch. Then you go down to Cuddy Shark, and then you go down there, I think called White Dwarf or something like that with the bottom shelf. That's cheap stuff. So, so, so what he's saying here is normally when the people first come to the wedding, Brother Herb, you serve top shelf. Now, why do you think I want them to drink top shelf at the beginning of the wedding? Go ahead, somebody. In, you're right, your answer is the right answer. You, you know, whatever you think. Brother, brother Perdue, go ahead. To get their attention, okay. That, you know, some of y'all are connoisseurs. And you can, you can do this, and, and when you do that with fine wine, they, they get you to taste your, test your palate, I think that's what they call it, to test your palate. And so when you first start drinking, your palate is in a different place. So right then, they, they, they serve the best first, Calvin, so that your palate will know it got the best. But they know if you keep drinking the best, your palate going to get desensitized. And you won't be able to tell a rock gut <laughs> from the best. Amen. Because now your head is kind of bad. <laughs> your head is kind of bad. It's it just alcohol now. It, you ain't even got no taste buds no more, you know. So, so he said, man, look, it is unusual to save the best stuff to last. We, we ain't never been nowhere. And, and, and even in this miracle, Jesus turned it into the, not an inferior one. He turned into the, look at this, this verse 10. He says, a host always served the best wine first. He said, then, when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. <laughs> Say what now? <laughs> but you have kept the best until now for last. So in, in that guy's mind, he understood something had happened in this process. 
and which solidified the fact that Jesus' miracle did not produce an inferior product. So I'm sure that whatever he produced continued to allow them to have joy. Amen. I know y'all hate to say it. Something I just hate to say. Get a What he produced, if it was compared to the best that would have been served first, it had to be good stuff. Amen. Go ahead, brother. what you need. 180 gallons. <laughs> Rich, it, back in my good days over here in the low runners, we wouldn't drink that much. <laughs> way more than enough. <laughs> and keep in mind, the place that they were way back then, the population wasn't that big. Uh -huh. So he had enough to last for just five days, six, <laughs> seven, eight times. They party like it ain't no tomorrow. <laughs> Is that Mike going after me? I want Come to on, make Pastor. Come on. Okay, okay. Talking to you because I want to make sure the people online hear you. Because people online need to hear you and hear your expression. You know what I mean? Because you, you're talking from experience. And some people out there need to know that the Lord done brought you to a place now. You know what I mean? Because you say when you was over in the low rentals. Yeah. Okay, and for y'all that don't know, I'm just talking about right across the street over here. We ain't going far. The project. And, and let me know, this place should be packed out. That's what I'm saying. Just, just thinking about the population, even uh, of Canaan way back in those days, it's not like Fort Walton. It's a small area, 180 gallons. Think about how you drink. It don't take but four or five glasses. It don't take 100, it don't even take a half a gallon. I don't know, I don't know how them shots work. Now, I know I look on TV, everybody's taking shots now. How do them shots work? How many shots does it take to get your head bad? Take four shots, about four shots to do it. Four, okay. I, I don't know. I said, I wouldn't know. I need to ask somebody. I, and I, I'm just trying to help somebody. Come, We're so, talking about wine. You don't take shots of wine. Oh, oh. Shots are different? Shot, oh, shots are different wine. Okay. But shots is strong drink. Okay. Well, you know, it, it looks like some people drink a little, drink some shots. You know what I mean? I mean okay. And, and, I, and my thing is, as long as you don't get drunk, I mean, that's, that's where I'm at now. The sin is drunkenness. Because if, 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 if we read this right, if Jesus was that hard up about this situation, it looked like what Brother Anthony is saying, man, by producing 180 gallons or something, you're making provision for some people to drink too much. But it's still up to each individual to know their limit. I'm not here to tell you to stop drinking because I have. Ten years ago, I would have because that's where I was. I was kind of, I was dogmatic in this area because I had gave it up. I wanted everybody to give it up. But now, as I'm older, I know everybody ain't listening to me, so I might well change my tune and just say, hey, don't get drunk. 
And if you don't drink too much, don't have your striving teacher on. I don't want everybody to think that we all, we, we, we all drink like that. Just, just don't have your striving t-shirt on. But as long as you, hey. Okay, let me move. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Wear whatever you want. But, but because I trust that you know what the words say when it comes to drunkenness. Amen? Now look at this, verse 11. He says, now look, this miracle, miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. The power that God had given to his majesty. And his disciples believed him. In other words, some people are not going to believe till they see it. He had been talking to them about certain things, but then once they see certain things, they can believe. We hear this saying all the time today, seeing is believing. But faith don't require us to see. That's why later on he'll tell John, you know, greater is those who believe and have not seen. We have to accept all of this by faith. We have to really believe that Jesus turned 180 gallons of water into wine just by speaking the word. I mean, in the natural, your natural mind is going to say, this, this, just a, this is just one of those fables. This is one of those stories that somebody made up. But in our heart, by faith, we've got to believe that this is an accurate account of what Jesus did. And in believing that, we now have a greater position with God because we are believing something we did not see. It's easy to have faith for things that you can see. But you really don't need faith for things that you can see. Faith is something hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you can see it, you can already get it, but you don't need faith for it. That's why I talk to people a lot and say, hey, you know, back in the day, if you got a job, you don't need no special anointing and no faith to get no car. You got a job. You can see a car. So why waste all your faith on something that you can automatically get? People who don't even believe in God buy cars every day. They don't pray. They don't fast. They just produce their income statements. Nowadays, you can get them without the income statement. So a lot of times we put our faith for material things when we really, our faith is aimed at spiritual things, things that we can't see. See, you got to have faith to believe that there is a heaven and that is real. Because if not, someone will tell you heaven is not real. Why are you walking around worshiping a God that, e that don't even exist in a place that don't even exist. You ain't been there, so how feeling? How can you talk with authority that there's a heaven out there? And that your salvation one day is going to get you there. I mean, you have to talk that like you believe it, but you get your confidence and your boldness from your faith. And if you don't have the faith for it, you can't talk about it and defend it. Amen. God, y'all getting quiet right there. Okay, let me move on. I didn't mean to say, let me just move on. Let me finish, let me finish this miracle real quick. <laughs> now, so that was the first time that Jesus revealed his glory. And after the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. 
So this just kind of revealed to us a lot of people didn't know that Jesus had other brothers. He wasn't Mary's only son. So other brother, James was his brother, probably wrote the book of James, along with his disciples. Now, as we studied John and we studied other gospels, Jesus spent a lot of time in Capernaum. It was like one of his little outposts where he went there quite often. Okay, so then we see now after this miraculous wedding event, this same Jesus who brought joy, Finley, had people dancing and celebrating, going to the temple and whip some folks. But her, he went to church and whipped some folks. This same Jesus. He got upset at church, her. This stuff we are too. How could God's son go in church and whip some people? And some people think because of the way it's worded, it was like he thought about it and took time to make the guy the right. Because some translations just say he platted the whip. You know when grandmama and them used to be, y'all too young? Y'all too young. Before that was belt, there was switches. Or switches, tree branches, limbs. <laughs> and some of them were green and, and them things were flexible. And sometimes grandmama knew one of them was going to do the job. So she'd go out there and get about five or six of them and sit there and premeditate and plat them up, knowing she's finna tear you up. And you gotta watch it. <laughs> you, gotta, you know it's coming, man. You can't do nothing about it. You gotta watch her braid this thing up and get ready to whip you with it. Man, so many days we had, look what they call them. I, they, you can't get them now because DHS will come get you. <laughs> Back then, we didn't have DHS looking out for grandmama. Grandmama leave us with whips on our legs. I mean, it wasn't uncommon. And then give us the alcohol, say, now put some alcohol. <laughs> I mean, come on now, Grandma. Why you, you know you done heard it. <laughs> now, now put some alcohol on it. You'll be all right. But you know, once you got one or two of those good ones, you didn't play with Grandmama no more. You knew Grandma was serious. So I'm telling you here, Jesus was serious when he went in this temple. Now look at this. I'm in verse 13. He said, it was nearly time for Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem, Passover. Everybody kind of got an idea what Passover is. You know where it comes from, the exodus of Egypt. When they got free, the Lord told them to put blood on the doorpost, and the death angel would pass over. And so because of that event, they celebrated this all the time. And it was customary during Passover, everybody would come back to the temple. So he says now, the celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. And look at verse 14. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, doves, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw the dealers at the tables exchanging foreign money. Okay, let me stop right there. So Jesus go to the house of worship, and now it looks like, you know, a department store. Exchange it. How many of you ever travel overseas to foreign country 
you know, when you go to a foreign country, normally when you get off the plane, you exchange money, okay, because your currency may not be good there. So get this, this is the picture you got to get. When the sacrifice, sacrificial system was put in place, Herb was supposed to bring his best from his flock to God. That's how it was supposed to work. But somebody got smart one day, you know, kind of like 2023, got smart and said, hey, look, Brother Herb, you don't want to travel 50 miles with that cow. Just leave your cow at home, and when you get to the temple, buy you a cow. That makes sense. Yeah, I'll I just buy me a cow. But in God's eyes, Herb, you're supposed to bring me your, your best. What I bless you with. You ain't supposed to go somewhere else and buy something else that may not even be the best. And so what happened was the reason Jesus got so upset, two things were going wrong. One, when Brother Herb got there, they were selling him at high cost inferior sacrifices. They was going out there getting a cow with a broke leg and all this stuff, but just offering up anything to God. Kind of like when we come to church on Sunday and we say it's time to praise God, we just offer him up anything. Give me your best praise. <laughs> Give me your best hallelujah. Oh, I mean, come on. I mean, just offer it up here and let somebody else do it for you. You know what I'm saying? So, so two things. They got the, the animals now, and they're coming in and buying inferior stuff, and then now Herb is the banker. And the rate for exchange may be supposed to be five to one. But now Herb say, well, look here, I got you where I want you. You know, kind of like when you're going through the airport, and the same windows that you buy in the airport, it don't cost the same as window on the street corner, because they got you where they, they, where they want you. So they're going to jack the prices up now, because I got you where I want you. Herb, I got you where I want you. So instead of you getting five to one, I'm going to take the ratio down to one to one. So two things happening. They're doing something that is causing the people to bring an inferior sacrifice, but at the same time, they're robbing the people in the exchange of the money. We would call that today, you know, companies get in, company, get in trouble, especially gas stations, when they do what they call price gouging. You know, that people regulate that. If you don't regulate that, some of these jokers will charge you way more than it should be. So the government has to regulate that and come in and look sometimes and say, hey, you, you can't just go up to $10 a gallon. You, you just can't do that. Because, because well, no, this is regulated. You're probably selling this about 5 or $6 a gallon or $3 a gallon. And so now this may give you some idea, Finley, why Jesus got so upset. He saw Finley coming in there working hard, coming to worship, coming to get his praise on, and Brother Herb rip him off at the door. Now Finley ain't got no thought for Jesus or nothing because I'm broke. I came here with $10 to do by the time I exchanged it to get my, my, my temple offering together. I ain't got zero now. And now I got to go in and here lift up a praise to God. And before I can get in the door out in the outside area for you out there, they ripped me off coming in the church. So Jesus had a problem there. Brother Herb, go ahead. I see your face. Not only that, though, Pastor, is, you know, and this is, this is Jesus. This is, at this point, nobody know who he is. So 
who might say at this point, what gave him the authority to act that way mm -hmm. about the temple? Because he's not in charge of the temple. Death so coming. But I'm just saying at this point, to me, when I see this also, it's kind of remind me that Jesus is showing that what authority that he has. Amen. Because at this point, he's just a regular. At, at this point, they don't know who he is. And, and he's coming up and whipping everybody, knocking things down. What's wrong with you? So I think, to me, it showed me that uh, also that he's showing that what authority that he has. Amen. To be able to act the way he did. Amen. And we're going to see that in a, in a prophetic way when we read on a little bit further because that kind of comes out in what, what, when he quotes a scripture that, that alludes to authority. So look at this. He says, now, in the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifice. He also saw dealers at the tables exchanging foreign money. Now, sometimes people get asked, then how is it that you can have a bookstore in a church and you sell stuff, sell T-shirts, sell that, sell this, that, and other? He wasn't talking about selling apparel to wear. All these things had something to do with worship. Worship. It would be like if I was selling T-shirts and told you, in order to come in to worship, you need a striving T-shirt on. And because I got the market on striving T-shirts, I only pay $5 for them, but now I'm going to charge you $40 for them. I think God would have a problem with that. I think God would have a problem if striving was to be selling Starbucks coffee and we getting the rights to sell it for $2 and I'm charging you the same thing they're selling for over at Starbucks. You, if I'm going to sell you some Starbucks coffee here striving, you ought to at least get it cheaper than you would if you went to a Starbucks. You ought to get a better... Oh, Lord, y'all don't hear that. Go ahead, Brother Anderson. <laughs> Pastor, I do every day what you're talking about at my job. See, I thought that you were going to go ahead and use a car salesman as an example. Because you go in there to buy that one thing, but they didn't pay that price. Because they always try to snatch your eyes out when you go and get something. <laughs> because the salesman wants money, the owner wants money, the dealership needs money. And then they try to get you on the back end, like you need to do a service contract, so that the mechanic gets money. <laughs> but see, can I take us to a, another scripture? Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. It says, Joshua tells the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great things among you. That's what he did. He went and consecrated the temple, because he ran the fuck out of it. Consecrate the people. Because we read the Bible and act like this doesn't apply to us. But God wants to, to run things out of us too. That's why we're here tonight. Okay, okay. And, 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 and then so we take, now, now you don't really kind of took it to a, a deeper spiritual level. I wasn't going there, but since you made it that way, then now let's take the focus off of striving, this building, 
and put the focus on you and your body as being a temple of God. And so he would ask us, what are you doing that is violating his temple? Would Jesus get in an outrage at us? We ought to be glad that he gave us the opportunity to repent. Amen. But let's keep it on the temple here. I don't want to go there, but that's how you got to look at it if you're going to make it make sense to you. Now, look here. I, 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 I preface it with, with verse 15 here. Say, he said some things that took action. You know, the, these things didn't come about unless he took some action. The Bible says Jesus made a whip. It didn't exist. <laughs> like grandmama, she made a switch. It was just a limb on a tree. But when she took it down, she made. <laughs> For those of you online, Anthony said she made a weapon of mass destruction. Well, it did tear up some flesh, that's for sure. But he made a whip from some rope and chased them out, all out of the temple. So that's action. Made a whip, then chased him out. Little Jesus, Mary's baby, his attitude changed when the temple was being defiled, when God's people were being taken advantage of, all in a worship. Now, this is all about their worship experience. They were defiling the worship experience. And so therefore, when we worship God, there ought to be a certain way that we worship him where our worship is acceptable to him and it's a pleasing, smelling aroma in his nostrils. Now, styles of worship may differ from denomination or ministries to ministries, but everything ought to be centered around worshiping him and doing things that would be pleasing to him. So we see here that intentionally Jesus made a whip from some rope he chased, God, man, I just tried to get a picture. If I was making a movie, I didn't. <laughs> just seeing Jesus running behind, just, just running behind. You know, have any of y'all ever made y'all grandmama run? You know, most of us, when the whip, we know the whip was come, we want to take flight. Nobody stood there, so just go and give it to me, grandmama. I'm ready for it. No, we tried to run. And I didn't know grandmama could run. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know my granddaddy could run. I, I really did. I always thought, man, this old man, he can't run. He can't run. There's no way granddaddy going to catch me when I know what he's going to do. Ain't no way. And one night I tested granddaddy. Told me, come in. I knew I was going to get the beat down. I figured I'm going to take out running. Man, before I got a block away, granddaddy caught me. And Lord have mercy. He beat me in front of all my friends. Everybody saw the beat down. I should have stayed at home and just took the beat down behind closed door. Now I got an open beating out in public. Just a, a, a beat down. Now that wouldn't happen today because granddad would be in jail for child abuse. But back then, that was just normal living for us. I mean, that was just normal. Now, and then nobody told us it was going to make us crazy. We came out all right. 
I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, I'm not an axe murderer. I'm not anything. The, the whipping didn't, didn't make me crazy. Now, and I didn't even know nothing about no PTSD either. I mean, granddaddy whipped me and it was over. I, I didn't go to bed at night and night, nightmares and waking up and all that. I mean, it was over. But now, I guess they tell you, they're telling your children, you spank them, you may be putting a little PTSD on them. So y'all got to know what you're raising. Amen. But they didn't tell us that. So we didn't know nothing about no PTSD, and, and we came out all right. But so when you tell children that they can get this, tell folks, they, now I ain't knocking real PTSD. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you ain't, you know, you done been in a war zone and all that. But I'm just trying to say is that a lot of these things that we see people say today, I don't know, maybe it impacted me in some way, and I just didn't get a scientific study done on it to know that what was the impact of granddaddy's whipping. You know, I, I don't know what the impact was. You know, maybe there's somebody that say I would have been better at this or better at that if granddaddy hadn't whipped me with a broom one day. I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, I don't know. But in my mind, since nobody told me I had PTSD, I thought I came out all right. I mean, but at the same time, I levied the same kind of punishment on my children. And I hope they came out all right. Because before time out, we didn't know nothing about time out. That wasn't our generation. We weren't told to tell them time out and let them go there and count backwards and all that in the corner. No. You did what you had to do. Now, today, I'm not advocating none of that because that, that worked for me and my kids. I think they came out all right. They're all doing well now, even after the punishment they got. But I didn't have to do it all the time because they learned they didn't want that. They didn't want that. And so you get to a point that all I had to do was reach for the instrument of punishment. And everybody started sitting down doing what they got to do. You, didn't have to. you get to a point, you don't even have to use it no more. You just reach for it. And in their mind, they know, oh, something's about to happen. Let me go sit down. But, but, now, but now, man, you know, I tease my daughter all the time, but my little grandson, they run things. They rule. They have to negotiate. Will you please do this? Sit down. Now, please don't do this. Please get up off the floor. If it works for them, I ain't knocking them. But when they come to Big Daddy's house, they, that's a different set of rules. Amen. Brother Herb, go but, but then you almost got to think about what was the purpose of the whooping. You, and it says in the word, you got to, what's in their heart, you, you got to get drive it out. Got to drive it out of them. Got to drive it out. <laughs> Wickedness is in the heart of a child. It's in the heart. It's in their heart. So it looks at that point, what we went through, like I said, my day. That what Jesus did. He drove it out. He drove it out. <laughs> he drove it out of them. He and, drove them out of And that's probably why, you, why you're not in jail or you didn't steal no more or whatever. It drove it out. Amen. It worked for me. I, I, I can say it worked for me, Herb. I'm agreeing with you on that it, one. It worked with me too, Pastor. Brother Finley, I see your hand. Uh, yeah, Pastor. I just had a, had a question for you. I wanted to go back for a minute. To get a, I wanted to get an understanding of why Jesus was actually mad. Um, I understand, you know, I guess what's taking place at the temple and whatnot. Then you used the example earlier, you know, of the Starbucks example and whatnot. And so I'm just trying to understand what actually made Jesus upset. I, I didn't get, I don't understand the backstory behind that. 
it, it was how they was defiling worship. You know, he, he, they were coming. This was all about worship. The people were coming to worship, offer up their sacrifices, and in order to do that, people were robbing them and taking advantage of them. And that's what he had a problem with. And that's why I used the Starbucks example. I ain't got a problem with a church serving Starbucks. But they, are, they members shouldn't, if they don't pay but a dollar and fifty for the cup, they shouldn't be selling the same members for seven dollars. That's just my feeling. I shouldn't be paying the same price in the church that I'm paying when I go to the corner store. Now, I don't have a problem with Starbucks. We don't sell Starbucks. We ain't got our coffee is free. Now, maybe we have Starbucks, you know, it would be a fee to it, but we don't have it. But I believe if we have Starbucks, right now I just wouldn't feel like selling coffee in the church. Okay? I wouldn't feel like it. So, so, so the problem, Fender, was is they was defiling worship. It, it was a time when people were coming to offer up their best to God. And, and now they're not bringing their best anymore. They're buying inferior stuff, and then they're getting robbed at the same time. And so Jesus saw this going on in the temple, and so therefore he had a problem with it because the religious leader was allowing this to happen. Now look at this, Brother Hurst. One of the things, too, he says, you'd be defiling my father's house. Now, I would say to a point is that if you, if my mother and father had a house, and I see you, and I see some people defiling my mother and house, I think I get pretty much upset, too. Okay, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So. Your mom and dad own a house, and you know, you are responsible looking at it, and they got some renters in there, and you go by there, and they done punch holes all in the walls. You know, the yard ain't been cut in a year. You probably have some problem with that. You know, y'all got to go. Can't you know about them contracts you write out for people who rent folks? Up? Hey, look here. Y'all got to go, man. You ain't going to just sit in here and keep tearing up the house. Y'all got to go. And so Jesus, same way. But he was talking about his daddy, the, his father. And, and, and again, this is going back when I get to the scripture. It is talking about him seeing himself as that mess, messiah figure that was prophesied. And therefore, he saw his daddy's house as his house. And so therefore, because I see this as my house, going back to what Brother Herb said earlier. Now I can exercise authority in something that I own. Then I hope I asked you, answer your question, man, and tried to make it plain. But yeah, I, I think you answered it, but I think I was talking to Calvin for a brief moment. So um, I think my thing is that, in, in, you know, in here, I don't, I guess in my version of that, it's not saying anything about being overcharged. It just sounds like to me they're going back and forth with buying and selling. Not, not really getting how that applies, you know, because, I mean, technically, we, you know, we sell shirts here and whatnot, buy and sell. You know, we don't overcharge, but it don't say anything about overcharging here in this text. But what you, what you, the point also to the text, though, Finley, is not so much of the buying and selling. It's the fact that there is, what they're doing 
is impacting worship. Like you said, we sell T-shirts here, okay? But those T-shirts have nothing to do with your worship experience. You don't have to have a T-shirt to come to worship. And we could give our T-shirts away for free. But because we pay for them, we charge for them, but we don't mark them up at some exorbitant price because our bookstore here don't really, it's, it's just breaking even for the most part. Some churches, because their bookstores are connected to people's salaries, they separate their bookstore from the church and make it a for-profit entity. Our bookstore is attached to the church as a non-profit entity. So we don't have to pay government taxes on it and all that. And, but at the same time, we can't open it up to do business unless the church got something going on. Meaning that after service, y'all want to walk in the bookstore, you can. But if you came in here today when nothing was going on, we can't sell you anything at the bookstore. Because if we did that, then it would have to be considered a for-profit entity in the church. Now, churches now, Finley, are not only just doing coffee, man, they're selling them. Churches got their own everything now, a lot of churches do. Beauty shops attached to churches. They got a lot of business entities associated with churches. But it has nothing to do with worship. Right. Um, so here's one. So the biggest thing here was there was a connection that was happening. So this was connected to the worship experience that people are having by these things, whether it's the T-shirts here or whatever. Uh, that's optional. I was telling Finley that there's other um, um, Bible verses that the courts will use outright calls them um, to sin that they may uh, uh, bring up these when you go to other you yeah know, the um, original King James the original and King James version which will be causing a bring up these that tells you this is a person that is Amen, amen. And so, so we see here, as we're going back, and if Finley's got another question, just let me finish this uh, 15. He drove, out, he drove out the sheep and cattle, uh, scattered the money changers, uh, coins over the floor, and he turned over tables. Man, all those things took action. Man, that was, that was intentional. When you drive somebody out, when you scatter something, and when you turn the table over, you intend to do it. Tape, you know, you, that's something he intended to do. Now we're going to find out why. Let's, let me read on. He says, then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. In other words, you turn into a place of merchandising in order to worship. Not so much that they was doing it out in the, in the foria. It's the fact that they connected what they was doing to worship. He had a problem with that. And so he says, 
Then his disciples remembered the prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. And they took that to mean that now Jesus had a right, what Brother Herb was said earlier, he had a right to exert his authority in his father's house. Because he was saying that based upon that scripture, that, that he was saying, I have a right because my passion for what is going on and for my father's house, I want to maintain order, so therefore I am consumed with that, and I'm going to do anything I can to maintain that. And, and so for a lot, we may think that Jesus was acting out of character because this is one of the few times where we see him in a, what I call righteous indignation. You know, uh, the Bible does tell us, you know, it said in the Old Testament, man, you don't want to fall into the hands of an angry God. So at some point in time, the God that we love and the God that we serve, he, he, can, he got emotions. He can get angry. And so therefore, we have to make sure that we try to live in a way and do things in a way so that we don't cause his anger to rise up against us. So that's why in the New Testament, we fall under grace. But at the same time, after falling under grace, he realized that we do error. And there's a difference between making a mistake and practicing something and doing something on a continuous basis over and over and over and over again. No, but when we do sin, when we do make that mistake, then we, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. When we go back and say, I'm sorry, he expects us to come back and say, I'm sorry. But here these religious leaders had to change the rules and they thought they was making it easy for people. That would have sounded like a good deal. Man, I don't have to travel with all these animals. Let me just go. And I got the money. Let me just go buy one when I get there. But it's something about when you given something that you have been you that you have possessed and you attached to. You know, now you got to look out in your flock and take something that's precious to you and say, man, I got to offer this one up to God. There's a certain feeling that's going to come along with that. But when I go buy something, and just, I ain't got no time. I ain't fed that one. But man, I've been feeding these. I almost know the name. And now God want one. Wow. Brother Kevin? Pastor, do you really think the religious leaders were trying to make it easier for them, or were they trying to make a quick buck as well? Because some of them were quicker. Yeah. Okay, because... Uh, this is, um, you know, uh, the leaders, they allowed this to go in God's house, and you would think that they would have enough God in them to know that, you know, this was wrong, and to allow people to be overcharged and, and allow this to interrupt the worship experience, okay, just to, you know, you know, send some of the, you know, receipts to them. I mean, they can do it. You know, when you look at Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees and the, and, the, and the Sadducees and those people throughout his ministry, you'll find out a lot of times he called them thieves. You know, he tells what, if you read, I think it's Matthew 23, where he talks about their hypocrisy and the things that they were doing, how they tied the people this, this, and this, all the way down to the smallest thing, and they themselves were not doing some of the things that they were telling the people to do. So, yeah, these guys had a reputation of being corrupt. But you know, this, you ain't got to go all the way back there. There's some churches that's corrupt today. 
I mean, you, all you got to do is get out on the church gossip line. You'll see what's going on out there. That's some, that's some corrupt stuff going on in God's house today. Finley? You want to go, Ken? Ken, I'm sorry. I missed your hand. Go ahead, man. Finley, I'm, I'm go. I'm going to ask, do you think it's our job now to call out the, the churches that are doing wrong in God's house? Ooh. You know, some, some people feel that that's their duty. I've been... I don't know if y'all been keeping up with me. I've been following this thing on T.D. Jakes here lately. You know, he done got himself in, in something. I don't know what's going on, but this, this, dude, this, dude, this dude is saying some serious stuff against him. The kind of stuff that if you would say, you could find yourself in a lawsuit unless what you're saying is true. I mean, when you start saying these things about people publicly, and, you know, that's serious. So now he may feel, hey, it's my job to call out these things that's going on in churches, kind of like the similar situation when Eddie Long got called out for some of the things that he was doing in the church, you know. And so, but I saw Jake's rebuttal to that on Christmas Eve service. You know, he was standing there to say, you ain't got to worry about me. I'm the man for this. I can handle this. And I just said, okay, I hear you, Doc. You know, but, you know, sooner or later, when these things start coming out, more and more stuff starts becoming uncovered. I hope for the sake of ministry that it's not true because of the magnitude and, and the ministry that he has and the platform he has and how many people look up to him. For something like that to come out against him, it's going to cause a lot of Christians to fall. It's going to be a domino effect if that, any of that stuff is true because people will who have been Looking up to him is going to say, hey, now, and, and other people out there who have been fighting against the gospel is going to use that to pull people out of the church. Why you go to the church, man, over there? Look what they're doing in the church. You ain't even got to go to church to do that. And now you're going there, and they're getting your money, and they're doing all this, and, you, you know, people are going to say, yeah, the church is a racket. They're just doing everything just like any other ungodly organization. So I pray and hope that these allegations against him is not true, man, because it, it, would, it would be really be ugly. It would really be ugly. Because, you know, Jakes is, Jakes is, a, Jakes is a big name, man. This dude, this dude got enterprises all, he, you know, he, he interacts with a whole lot of folks. He got his hand in a lot of stuff with Tyler Perry and a lot of other things like that, movies and industries and all that. I mean, he, he's, a, he's a powerful dude. And so I pray that he, what he was saying on that stage is true. I hope he wasn't just bluffing. Talking about he's the man for the job. He just don't know what the dude going to do next. So, so we, that's something that as a church body, I think that we ought to be praying about that, man, praying that it ain't true because it, the impact on the gospel and on the ministry is going to be severe. It's going to be severe. So now look at this. In verse 16, let me kind of read that again. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the, scripture, uh, from the scriptures. Passion of, of, for God's house will consume him. But the Jewish leaders demanded, now these are leaders, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. Instead of them looking at him trying to correct something for wrong, 
they wanted him now to prove that he had the authority because he was who he said he was. They were trying to justify, say, you know, if God gave you the authority, let us see that you're really God, like show us a miracle right now. And that's how it is a lot of times. People won't believe until they see something. And, 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 and a lot of times, we got to know and trust God even before we see the miracle. We got to believe in him before we need one. So they wanted him to prove who he was. Then look what Jesus said. Now he come back at him in a quick way. He says, all right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple, and in three days I will, it will, I will rise, raise it up. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now he's speaking prophetically about himself, but they didn't understand that because he was talking at a physical temple, and they were still thinking naturally and physically, okay, they started wondering. Now, how do I don't I know this dude's somebody big, but man, he ain't gonna be able to rebuild this thing. We've been, we've been working on this thing for 40 years. And all of a sudden, now in three days, we're gonna tear it down and he's gonna raise it back up. And see, that's why sometimes when it comes to us as children of God, we gotta understand things from a spiritual perspective sometimes and not just a natural perspective. And a lot of times we miss some things that God is trying to get through to us. All because we don't sharpen our spiritual insight, our spiritual wisdom, our spiritual inner man is not getting what he needs so we can discern some of the things that God wants us to discern spiritually. And so we read it and think naturally, which hinder us from operating in the spirit. So they, they heard it, but their mind was natural. Look at verse 20. What they exclaimed. It has taken 46 years to build this temple. And you can rebuild it in three days. But look at the next verse. But Jesus, but when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this. And they believed both the scripture and what Jesus said. Now, his disciples were right there with him, Kit, and they heard him, and he had been talking about this, but John is saying before time, man, them guys heard that and still didn't believe who he was. Walked with him. Still didn't know. He was revealing more and more of himself every time he was in that presence, and they still was missing it because they were still thinking natural. But it took them to see him on the cross, raised from the dead, having dinner with him and ascended heaven, then now all of a sudden we got it. We got to get it before they get it. We got to get it now, and we got to get it by faith so that we can enjoy the blessings that God has for us because we're not going to see what they saw. Not in this life. So we have to believe what they saw even though we did not see it. So he said when they saw it, they remembered because he taught them a lot of things. And you know, let me be natural for a minute, friendly, right here. I don't mean to call your name out, but you just on my mind say, there's a lot of things, Robin, that Pastor Bowden taught y'all. And I will venture to say, a lot of y'all don't even remember. No, I ain't remember. Then all of a sudden, one day, something may happen. And I was like, ah! I remember that lesson. 
Some people just don't get it the first time. Some people don't get it to see it. That's why when you're teaching, it's good to be repetitious. To help people reinforce that learning process because most stuff you're going to forget up to 60 or 70% in 72 hours after you leave here. You may remember one or two things, but if, you, if you're not a student of the word, you're going to forget a lot of it. Brother Her? But then, isn't that the purpose of the Holy Spirit? He's a teacher. He's a teacher. Yeah. He, he'll bring you a remembrance. But you got to have, you, you, you know, you got to give him something to work with. Amen. Amen. You got to put something in. <laughs> remember me, something got to be in there for you too. Remember, you done heard it. You kind of forgot it, but he bring it back to your. Sister Robin, were you going to say something? Just holding the mic. Okay, we're we about to wrap this up, okay? Now, the last two, three verses, he says, because of the miraculous sign Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust him. Many began to trust him. Now, look at this. But Jesus didn't trust them. <laughs> man, I thought that was that. Wow, man, that means Jesus knows something about us, man. <laughs> that means he said, man, they sitting out there tonight on this Wednesday night talking. Yeah, I got it. I know and believe. He said, man, I ain't trusting y'all for nothing. <laughs> I know you. I know you better. You know yourself. I know that the minute you leave here, not y'all. Y'all in class tonight, but I'm just talking about somebody else on the line. Maybe let, let she say. I thought that was funny, brother. When I read that, I stopped and I was like, man, man, they say, I believe, but Jesus said, man, look, I know you. I see in your heart. I see in your heart. I hear your mouth moving. I see your mouth, but I, I know what's in your heart, man. Man, that, that's serious. That's deep right there. Y'all got to get this. He said, but Jesus did not trust them because he knew human nature. Human beings will be caught up in their feelings and emotions and all that. And then when their feelings and emotions die down, they forget everything they said they were going to do. He knew that. See, that's why sometimes when, you know, when the seed fell on different type of soil, say, you know, some people get it and they run with it real quick, but they don't have no roots. And for a season, you think, boy, that person's on fire. And then three months later, then crashed and burned. Because they didn't go out into the world and was ready for the world with some roots, no foundation. They just left on their feelings and emotions. The choir got them up Sunday, man. They really sung, they really sung. Pastor closed that thing, man. I got them crumbs down, man. He had me out of my seat. I remember them crumbs, them crumbs, them crumbs. Yeah, you're in church. You ain't here in a safe environment. <laughs> what you gonna do when you get out there in the world and you gonna remember them? So we got to understand that this thing is about application. You got to do something with the information that you get. And if you don't, then it's not going to benefit you because you're not going to live in a wise way. So look at this. Hey, hey Pastor, I got a comment on that, what you just said. Okay. What, what, what we learn and whatnot. So with <clears throat> earlier in the verses, so if that was Jesus asking, you know, coming up there and basically, you know, preparing the temple up, is that... Is that, is that allowed for, you know, uh, is that allowed for us as Christians to do that? You know, and is, is that something, is there ever, you know, there got to be a balance between, you know, I guess you use the example of what you learn with your kids, you know, sometimes you just 
and you got to put that hand in there, so you know that's a little motion. But is there a balance between that and maybe a, I guess a, a more passive way versus an authoritative? Uh, to me, I mean, it's more like aggressive authoritative. You know, is this the authoritative that God wants us to have right here? I, I don't think this was Jesus' mo for every situation. I, I think when you study his ministry, you'll find out that this was this was maybe a one or, once or twice they record Jesus really getting to this point. But every time you, he got to these points, it's normal because something was going wrong with worship, with reverencing and honoring God. And so I, I, I look at it like this. Even though I punished my kids, every situation didn't warrant the belt. Every situation. They still get punished. They may have to go and not watch TV tonight, do something else. They got the punishment. But every situation didn't warrant me getting the belt on. But there was some situation that they crossed the line. And yeah. And so I think here we see every situation that Jesus came in did not warrant this level of response to the situation. Brother Herb? And, you know, and also about John, um, the book of John at, at, the, at the very end of this, this book, it says he tells you the purpose of this book. And if you look at the book of John, a lot of the things were saying believe in, believe in life. Amen. And so what I'm reading here, since John is a witness, he's showing in how Jesus wants people to believe who he was. And so John's writing to letting us know who Jesus was to us. And so not so much in a sense that we need to uh, it's asking us showing us, telling us to believe who Jesus was. Not so much in a, as a Christian living life way, but I'm looking at when I read, studying John, John is just giving me an eyewitness and telling me when Jesus was walking, these are the stories that Jesus was walking and letting people know who he was. So we have to believe to build our faith upon who Jesus was. Amen. That's so how I look at this book. Well, you know, and that goes back again to last week. This book started off in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. So Jesus' whole purpose in, in John is telling us, hey, if you follow my logic in what I'm writing, my whole thing is to let you see how God is because we learn from words. We learn from things that are written. And so, therefore, when I study Jesus as the word of God and the word becoming flesh, when I look at him, I got to believe that God would have towed that temple up, too. If the word became flesh, to give us an example, that God, he would let us know, God can get upset when you defile his. And last verse, he says, but Jesus didn't trust them, verse 24, because he knew human nature. Then he says, no one needed to tell him what mankind is really like. Man, Jesus, no. man, he's part of our creation. He know how God created us. So nobody needs to tell him what we're like. So he know that, hey, man will say this today, 
But man, if it was enough trust your man, man may not do what he says he's going to do. But still, I'm here to be an example for them to live up to. That's, what that's, that's our example. That's why we talk about we want to make Jesus' love visible, but at the same time in making Jesus' love visible, we want to grow to the fullness and to the stature of him. That's our, that's our goal is to try to be like him. Because if we can be more like him, we could be more like God. And that was his end game. And that's what John is trying to get us to see, that we can be more like God if we be more like Jesus. Amen? Any other questions or comments before we close? Any other questions or comments before we close? Man, I pray that you got something out of this. Go back tonight, like Brother Calvin and Brother Fender say back there, study it, be a Berean, go home and read it for yourself. See what the Lord give you, what he revealed to you uh, at the level of your growth. Or wherever you are in the Lord, just trust that he will show you how to apply these scriptures to your life.